This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we'll get all of our favorite horror films from the classic the camp to the cringe through the lens of disability. My name is Nicole, I'm your host, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? Well, in the words of Beyonce, <laughs> That's right, we are talking about 2018's Upgrade, directed and written by Lee Winnell. Now... A perfect fit from our episode on John Kramer, aka Jigsaw Prime, because Lee Winnell was a co-writer of Saul and was in the film as Adam. So, very nice fit as a follow-up episode there. Of course, Lee Winnell will go on to direct 2020's The Invisible Woman with Elizabeth Moss and has really kind of put himself out there as a really fantastic horror writer and a director. Now prior to Upgrade, I think the only directing credit he had to his name was Insidious 2, but he would be a credited writer I think on all the Insidious films. Now I do have to again bring up The Invisible Man that came out in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. It was a hugely, I think, successful film, especially by word of mouth. Lots of people were checking it out, and it made pretty much everyone I know's kind of top horror films of the year list. Even a lot of just general top films of the year list. So I I find that film quite good, but also really interesting in that it deals with tech and ideas and themes around tech in a somewhat similar way. So, obviously something that is on Winnell's mind. So, all of that said, let's get in to Upgrade. As a quadriplegic, it must be frustrating for you, someone who likes to get things done with their hands. Here's the thing. Four guys murdered my wife. If I could find these men, I'd do it. What if I told you I could offer you something that would enable you to walk again? I call it STEM. A computer chip that has the potential to change everything. It's a new, better brain. I am STEM. The system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? No. Only you. May I point something out? In the drone surveillance footage. Sir Brantner, Marine Corps, address 414 Citrus, New Ground. We'll need a plan. I got this. This doesn't seem like a well thought out plan. I need your permission to operate independently. Permission granted! Thank you. Oh, my 
down, man. Sam, he's got a knife! I see that. We have a knife, too. You now have full control again, Gray. If you are involved in this somehow, then you need to let me know. Well, I was in the area, detective. There was a gun implanted inside his head. Stan, what do you think I should do? Move, Gray. Whoa, 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 whoa! Man, you are persistent. I cannot allow us to be killed. We are going to finish the job we started. You didn't know that I'm a ninja. While I am state-of-the-art, I am not a ninja. To our plot synopsis, Gray Trace, an auto mechanic, lives with his wife, Asha, who works for Cobalt, one of the companies contributing to human-computer augmentations. Gray asks Asha to help him return a refurbished car to his client, Aaron Keane, a renowned tech innovator. While visiting his home, Aaron reveals his latest creation, a chip called STEM that can manage a human's motor functions. Returning home, Gray and Asha's self-driving car malfunctions and crashes. Four men kill Asha and shoot Gray in the neck, severing his spinal cord. Gray returns home months later as a wheelchair-using quadriplegic under the care of his mother, Pamela. Asha's death and the inability of Detective Cortez to identify their attackers causes Gray to sink into a depression. After a suicide attempt, he is visited by Aaron, who convinces him to accept a stem implant. Gray regains control of his limbs, and Aaron has Gray sign a non-disclosure agreement, requiring Gray to pretend to still be paralyzed. While looking through a drone feed of his wife's murder, Gray hears Stem speak in his mind. Stem says it can help Gray get revenge and quickly identifies one of the assailants, Sir Brantner, from the video. Gray breaks into Cirque's home and finds proof Cirque was upgraded through a secret military experiment, also connecting Cirque to a local bar called the Old Bones. Cirque arrives and attacks Gray, but Stem convinces Gray to temporarily give up control of his body, allowing Stem to turn Gray into a lethally efficient fighting machine, killing Cirque with little effort. Cortex later sees drone footage of Gray's wheelchair approaching Cirque's house, but his paralysis negates him from being a suspect. Aaron has tracked Stem's movements and berates Gray for his vigilantism. Gray reveals Stem is speaking to him, which appears to surprise Aaron. Aaron demands that Gray stop his investigation. Gray proceeds to the old bones and finds Tolan, another of the assailants. Gray allows Stem to torture Tolan to get the name of the assailant's ringleader, Fisk. Leaving the bar, Gray stumbles and Stem informs him that Aaron is attempting to shut, shut them down remotely. Stem direct, uh, directs Gray to a nearby hacker, Jamie, who manages to remove Stem's input guard, then leaves just as Fisk and a companion arrives. Gray, with Stem's control, restored, kills Fisk's companion. Gray returns home only for Pamela to see him walking, forcing him to reveal Stem's existence. 
Cortez arrives to interrogate them after finding Gray's wheelchair suspiciously abandoned at the old bones. She leaves after planting a listening device on Gray's jacket. Gray wishes to give up the hunt, but Stem explains that if they do, then Fisk will track them down and kill them. Stem reveals that the hack now allows it to control Gray's body even without Gray's permission. Stem uses Gray to drive to Fisk, causing an automatic an automated car to malfunction and crash into Cortez, who is tailing them. Cortez returns to Gray's home, where Pamela explains Stem. Gray and Stem find Fisk, who reveal that Gray's wife was not the main target. Rather, Fisk was hired to paralyze Gray so he could be implanted. Fisk's own upgrades outpace Gray's stem-controlled movements, but when Gray taunts Fisk with the death of Sirk, his brother, Fisk reacts emotionally, allowing Stem to gain the upper hand and kill Fisk. Fisk's phone reveals messages from Aaron, suggesting he'd orchestrated all of the events. Gray storms Aaron's house, killing all personnel in his path, but is held at gunpoint by Cortez before he can kill Aaron. Aaron confesses how Stem forced him to do his bidding, having long since come to dominate all aspects of Aaron's life in pursuit of its goal to become human. Stem kills Aaron and attempts to kill Cortez, but Gray fights for control over his own body, managing to shoot himself. Gray wakes up in a hospital room, not paralyzed. Asha explains he has been unconscious for two days following their crash. In reality, Gray is still in Aaron's home. Stem, in full control, explains to Cortez that the psychological strain has finally broke Gray's mind. This was Stem's objective all along, as this allows Stem to assume control over Gray's mind and body. Gray's consciousness believes the idyllic dream state it has found while Stem kills Cortez and leaves. Now, it had been a minute since I had seen Upgrade. I saw this when it came out in theaters. I think I've watched it maybe once or twice since. But going back and watching it uh, just yesterday and putting together some notes for the episode, I was really struck by how similar at least the beginning bit of this film is to Monkey Shines. Both films center on male characters that become quadriplegic after horrific events. Both lose major components of their support system when they lose their partners, albeit in very different ways. Both really struggle, I think, with the adjustment to new aspects of life. And there's some differences here. In the beginning, very beginning of Upgrade, Gray's a bit of a Luddite because we are in a world where tech is kind of all immersive. Although I will say that it's integrated into the world in what I feel is a very plausible way. It isn't, you know, so obtrusive and so out there that it feels like we're dealing with, you know, hundreds of years in the future, anything like that. It seems very naturally integrated in things that don't seem really out of the realm of our reality today. 
we have a lot of smart devices, including like things in our kitchen. There are smart refrigerators. There are all these kinds of home devices that can basically make your home a smart home. But gray in upgrade kind of rejects a lot of that. He's an auto mechanic. We see him in the garage and his garage is very much like any garage you can go into. Uh, same kind of tools, setup. He's using his hands. He doesn't have a lot of fancy tech or gadgetry uh, in his work. Uh, and he kind of bristles at a lot of the smart tech in he and Asha's home. Although, it's important to also set up that they have a really nice dynamic. He's not necessarily, you know, coming at her or shaming her because she works in the tech field. And as the plot synopsis points out, works specifically in, I don't know, I, I think that the plot synopsis says computer human augmentation, but think about it more in terms of prosthetics and that kind of medical innovation and devices. Asha just seems very much more comfortable in general utilizing and kind of living in the world of tech. When she goes with Gray uh, to take the car to Aaron, they have this really kind of funny moment where they're talking shop, where Asha realizes who Aaron is and she explains that she's also kind of in the tech world and is kind of excited to meet him. And Gray has that look on his face that I think we're all familiar with. If you've ever been a partner that's gone, uh, you know, to a work event and your partner is there kind of mixing and mingling with colleagues and they're talking work stuff and you're just kind of glazed over longingly looking at the open bar, being supportive of, of your partner, of course, but you know, kind of feeling a little bit out of place. And I think that that's definitely craze experience. All of this setup, I think, is incredibly well done. And then you get to the horrific accident and assault on Asha and Gray on their way home. Their car, their self-driving car, wrecks, and they are attacked by a group of men. Asha is killed and Gray is paralyzed after being shot in the neck. We then fast forward a number of months and Gray is being released from the hospital, now a quadriplegic who uses a motorized wheelchair. As he gets home, one thing that is also very similar to Monkey Shines is that we get this little sequence where we are introduced to all of the kind of uh, accommodations that allow Gray to now live at home. His mom is with him and his mom is going to be staying with him for a bit of time, but we get a little bit of a tour to see some of the additional tech that have been added into the home for Gray. So we see that there's a little kind of meal prep system that have been set up so that he can order his own food and we also see kind of a charging pad for his wheelchair just little things like that 
I think that this is also a really important scene because I think, again, it's really highlighting the way that not only is Gray dealing with a lot of grief from the loss of his wife, a lot of grief in kind of this change in life that he's experiencing now being quadriplegic and using a wheelchair, just all of the trauma around that, but as someone that was not really enthused about living in a very tech-heavy world, he's now having to rely on it. Uh, the things that he really took joy in, working on cars, you know, using his hands in that way, he's not able to do. So I think we get a really kind of great establishment of that. And again, very similar to what we saw with that uh, uh, with some of those scenes in Monkey Shines. So, we get a little bit of time with Gray at home. And I really like this stretch of the film. It's a little bit slow in terms of pacing, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But we really get to spend some time understanding Gray's emotional and mental state. We get the moments with his mom as she's helping him, she's bathing him, she's trimming his beard. I think this is a really important sequence in a couple of different ways. I really like the establishment of the relationship between Pamela, Gray's mom, and Gray. It's very different from the parent relationship that we saw in Monkey Shines. Pamela is very loving to her son and very supportive. And she, I think, completely understands, maybe not in a, a very specific way, but is very empathetic to what Gray might be going through and is there for him. There's this really kind of uh, beautiful shot of her trimming his beard and he starts to cry and you can just feel the love between them and, and just the heaviness of what they're going through. And she's just very supportive and kind. And we also see this reflected later in the film when she realizes that Gray can now walk with STEM and you know she has this uh I guess kind of reluctant happiness not reluctant in you know uh I, I, I don't know how to describe it it's a reluctance in kind of a confused way of oh well I, I guess now you can live your life again you know, she's very supportive and loving, and I, I just really like the relationship. I think the relationships in this film are really well done. But much like Monkey Shines, just everything that Gray is experiencing and trauma around the event of the accident and assault just weighs so heavy on him and... You know, while the house was, you know, kind of tricked out with more pieces of tech to allow him to 
live at home and, and be a bit more independent, there's no talk about you know, mental help, therapy, processing what he's been through. And so this is all just incredibly heavy on him. And much like Monkey Shines, we get a, a, a moment where they both have tried to take their own lives. In this film, it's a little bit more, I think, drawn out. I'm not for sure who finds him. I think the tech ends up calling the emergency personnel because he's trying to convince the machine to overdose him. But the machine understands that, you know, you can only give so many doses in an amount of time. Kind of understands, I think, a bit of what's, I don't want to say understands, but is then kind of triggered to contact uh, some help. And Gray is taken to the hospital. And it's when he's released and, and still at a fairly low point that, um, well, he's not released. Um, Aaron comes and visits him in the hospital. But, you know, it's later that he's kind of convinced to undergo the procedure of getting that stem implant. So just lots of really interesting parallels between Monkey Shines and Upgrade that really stood out to me on this rewatch since I recently watched Monkey Shines. And I thought that was really worth noting. But the films, of course, then take some wildly different paths with Upgrade going much more a revenge action movie path. Following the surgery to implant stem, Gray realizes quite quickly that stem can talk to him. He hears stem in his mind and at first is pretty shocking, but then it becomes almost a bit of a buddy picture. And there's a lot of comedy with stem. Stem is quippy as fuck. I think that a testament to Winnell's writing is that while Stem's jokes and bits are pretty constant, it doesn't become too much. You're not kind of wishing for Stem to just shut up. It's actually really well done and it doesn't get too aggravating, I should say. I would say that a key factors of that is probably Logan Marshall Green's performance as Grey. I think they play really well off of each other, so I, I think it's just really well done. Now once we get into the film post-stem implant, like I said, it becomes kind of a revenge slash almost buddy picture between Grey and Stem as they go about taking out the folks responsible for the assault and Asha's murder. But there are a couple of moments that I do want to point out. Specifically with his trip to the Old Bones where he takes out Tolan. When he goes into the bar, he's in his wheelchair because again, even though he's able to walk and move as he had before the accident and assault, he's made this agreement with Aaron that he'll continue to present 
as a quadriplegic in public because people cannot know about STEM. So he goes into the bar in his wheelchair and he begins to kind of start a fight with Tolan, calling him out. And a lot of people are assuming, like, you know, this guy is in a wheelchair. He's a quadriplegic. There's no way that he's going to be able to take on Tolan. And Tolan is going to completely decimate this guy. And, of course, the opposite happens. Uh, Stim is given control. And you see some of the damage that Stem can do. And, of course, this is after the Cirque murder, which uh, I think is extremely well done and I think also shows that Gray isn't completely comfortable with the violence that Stem is capable of dishing out. But I think that Gray is starting to in some ways, harness this ability, and even though it continues to make him uncomfortable, he is, I think, kind of adapting a little bit. But you get a couple of comments from folks in the bar about Gray being in a wheelchair, and I think even the... Uh, the bartender, the bar owner, I think, makes a comment about, you know, not picking on disabled people, which I felt was kind of funny. And it kind of connects with the, I guess, kind of underlying motif here that Gray also kind of uses his disability now that he can kind of turn it off in a way to cast suspicion away from him and to kind of lower people's guards around him, especially when he's, you know, seeking out those that had hurt him and killed his wife. But he also uses this with Cortez when she's kind of poking around. She's finding it very suspicious that he keeps poking up at these murder sites so he's you know able to kind of use his disability to keep people off of his uh, tail a little bit but I do find it kind of interesting how it's used as a plot device and stem prior uh, to all of this also states that you know without Stem's help, he's back in a wheelchair, and it can go away at any time. Now, this is also used as a very key manipulative uh, piece for Stem, but I, I think it's kind of a, a good reminder for the audience that the movement that Gray is able to have his agilities and ability in these fight sequences are all a product of stem and they can go away as quickly as they came. Now I do want to go back to a moment that I referenced earlier and that is the moment between Gray and Pamela 
This is, I believe, after the attack at the Old Bones Bar. And Gray comes home, and he walks in, and Pamela is there, and she's very surprised, of course. And after Gray kind of explains to her what's going on, she seems fairly, I guess, kind of happy, almost relieved, because she's seen her son deal with really heavy depression and the ability the fact that he now has the ability to walk will make things all better things can go back to normal and I love Gray's response to her comment of uh, I, I think her line is something around you know well now you can start living life again or now you have your life back and Gray points out well yeah I might have the ability to walk again but it's said in a way that really underlines the fact that just because he's able to walk it doesn't mean that anything is going back to the way it was he's gone through so much that there's really no going back and i think it's also you know for me that tiny ex exchange also speaks to I think some things I've talked about in various episodes you know this idea that well everything is fine if I could just not be disabled if I could not be sick if I could not have this illness or you know have to use a wheelchair everything would be fine but that's not true that's not how any of it works and I I like that this moment seems to kind of be recognizing that and again STEM could be as temporary as anything if it were to go away which there seems to be a threat of a growing threat of um, at least as STEM presents it to Gray with you know Aaron doesn't want you going and doing this vigilanteism and he's going to shut us down. All of that comes into play too. I think it's just a really interesting way to make that all kind of come together. The last aspect that I want to talk to related to disability are the folks referred to as the upgraded. So Fisk and all the other assailants from the night that... Uh, Asha was killed and Gray was paralyzed. These are all veterans that have come back and been used as lab rats, primarily by Asha's company, Cobalt, although there's no indication that she had any involvement or even knowledge of what was going on. But there has been experimentation with these individuals and planting them with devices and kind of tech to upgrade them so they have you know guns in their hands they have cameras in their eyes and these are the folks that gray goes up against now this is where the film kind of goes back to its anti-tech message that we established off the top with gray we are seeing medical experimentation essentially with these individuals and they're being weaponized. But I think it's worth focusing in on the anti-medicalized tech 
here for a moment because even at the beginning when it's very clearly established that Grey is a bit of a Luddite, it's also established that Asha works not for like a cell phone company or, you know, some social media conglomerate or anything like that. She's working for a maker of prosthetics and other kinds of medical devices like that, or at least that's a key part to what they do, maybe not all. And yes, it's being used in nefarious ways, but I've talked a little bit about this in, in past episodes, and it's the villainization of medical advancements, whether this be seen in surgical procedures, in medicine, in medical tech. I think that this somehow reflects a societal idea that often isn't spoken out loud, but I still think is kind of there. These things aren't used in our world by and large in nefarious ways. Certainly, there have been historical instances where it has, particularly um, in regards to marginalized communities. And I don't think that we can discount that at all, or should we? But I think that there is this continued villainization because these are the things that allow individuals with various disabilities to be part of quote-unquote normal life. It's with these technical advances that Gray can live at home, do some of the things that he wants to do when he wants to do them and how he wants to do them. There's always going to be challenges, but it's these types of things that create an entry point into everyday life for folks with disabilities. And it's consistently portrayed in a bad light. Again, not to take away from some of the historical horrors that medical science has been associated with, but I just find it very interesting, especially when we look at how just in you know, the past couple of years since Upgrade has come out, the past few years, rather, you know, <laughs> continues to be certain medical advancements, certain technological advancements that keep, you know, all of us connected, that allows us to do the things that we need to do in life. And throughout the pandemic, we saw folks that didn't identify as having a disability using some of these things. I mean, things even as simple as ordering groceries and having them delivered. Well, it's not a lot of, I didn't know a lot of people who were necessarily doing that, um, that didn't have disabilities prior to the pandemic, but it was something that everyone started doing. Everyday kinds of tech either got its origins from being a key part in allowing individuals with disabilities to live independently and autonomously, 
or it was adapted to become a key part of that. So I think you can't necessarily divorce all of those pieces together. And I don't think that the film is necessarily making a very specific statement on that, but I think it's something that is still, I think, worth reflecting a little bit on, especially because the overall statement at the end that is made is that Gray is much happier away from tech when he's kind of in this dream world that he's forced into by STEM. And the big bad of the film is STEM. STEM has orchestrated all of this in order to, I guess, have a Pinocchio story and become a real boy. So, yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting cap to the story. And I don't know if it necessarily all gels together perfectly at the end, but I do think it's interesting. And I think it allows for a lot of conversation that if it went a much more straightforward route, may take away from that. So, I think that's kind of it for Upgrade. I had such a good time talking about this one. I really enjoyed seeing it in theaters, and it's one of the films that I will have watched a couple of times, and I just really enjoy it. I think the humor in it is really, really good. I think it's, you know, because it's kind of part of my humor as well. So it may not work for everyone, but I really like it, and I'm glad that it's there. It makes it kind of an interesting, entertaining watch and adds kind of a, a level of fun to it. I think the fight sequences, the gore, absolutely top-notch. I think it's really uh, kind of crunchy and intense, and I really like that. I think it's a lot of fun. I would say the only kill sequence that I don't necessarily like is the bartender, bar owner, um, and Fisk. Fisk has, I guess, these little, I don't know, things that he can expel from his body by sneezing, coughing, or whatever, I guess. And it can go into the body of someone else and kill them. This is how he kills the bar owner. And you don't really get a satisfying end to that. The little particles that look like they have knives or whatever on them go into the brain. And the idea is that it's, you know, these things are going in and shredding the brain. And we don't really get a payoff of that. I would have liked to have seen at least some blood oozing from, you know, the nose, ears, whatever. I think that could have been something to make it, to make it a little bit more, <coughs> excuse me, impactful. But it also, I think is, a, you know, I think it would have been a little bit different from the real crunchy stuff that we get elsewhere. So maybe that's why. I don't think it, you know, makes the scene completely worthless at all. I think it's actually a pretty kind of interesting scene, and Fisk is a really interesting character. But, yeah, I think those are really kind of my only critiques of the film. It's a lot of fun, and if you haven't seen it and you listen to this, well, you know, lol, you've been spoiled, 
but I hope you'll go back and watch it because it is a lot of fun and it's worth it just for the back and forth with STEM and Gray. I think it's really, really well done. So yeah, that is Upgrade. As always, a huge thank you for being here and for listening. And a huge thank you to Anatomy of a Scream, the home of Bodies of Horror. As always, make sure that you are subscribed. You're here. I assume you are, but you know how these things go. If you haven't subscribed, make sure that you have because lots of great content, altar tapes, good for her, white ladies in crisis, all top-notch shows, and are doing some really amazing stuff currently, so you don't want to miss out. And I'm just really thankful to be a part of the anatomy of a Scream Paw Squad. It's a very great group to be to be part of, and it means a lot. So, if you want to reach out to me and keep the conversation going, please feel free to do so. You can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. And yes, as of right now, the release of this episode, I am still on Twitter. <sighs> and you can find me on Twitter at Bodies of Horror. And of course, all that will be in the show notes. So, once again, thank you so much for being here. And until next time. Squad.